We are in a study through the very, very practical New Testament book of James. And um, James is a, a, a letter that is written to the church that's been scattered all over the world uh, because of a challenging season that they've been walking through. And um, the message of James is, hey, listen, no matter where you happen to be, and no matter what happens to be happening to you, you need to continue to prove that your faith is authentic by the way that you live every day. Continue to prove how authentic your faith is by the way that you live every single day. And in this section of scripture, James is essentially going to say, every encounter you have with people, will be a test of your faith. Y'all, we are going to be tested this week, according to James. Some of you might be being tested right now, and you didn't even know it. So James chapter 2, we're going to start reading at verse 1. We're going to pause and make some observations, and I trust ultimately some meaningful application. James chapter 2, verse number 1. My brother's... And sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. So James chapter 2 opens up with a passionate, passionate Plea. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no room for favoritism in your life. And James is saying as someone who loves you all as my brothers and sisters in the person of Jesus Christ, I am begging you, fight against that thing in you that is going to be tempted to treat certain people a little more special than you treat other people. Um, favoritism is the idea that uh, I treat someone with better attention or intention based on a superficial quality. I treat one person with better intention or better attention based on a superficial quality, right? So two people have done and therefore deserve the same thing from me. But I decide before they've done anything, you're my favorite and therefore I am going to treat you with a little special favor, favoritism. James says, if you are a follower of Jesus, there is no room for favoritism in your life. No place for it in the church, and there's no place for it wherever the church happens to go. Wherever we happen to be scattered, wherever we happen to be, there is no room for Favoritism. Now, I think if we're going to, to live this thing out, 
uh, it's equally important. As I was reading through this, it, it occurred to me, it's equally important for us to get some sense of what favoritism is not. Otherwise, we might cage ourselves in more than we think if we are intellectually lazy and we think, all right, we get it, let's move on. I think it might help us to actually talk about what favoritism is not. Um, let me help you with this. Uh, if two people came to me, and I don't know either of them. And they both held out to me gift cards for restaurants. One of them was holding out a Panera Bread gift card. And the other was holding out a Chick-fil-A gift card. I'm not even gonna lie to you in church. It would not be a contest. I would pay a little extra attention to the person holding out the Chick-fil-A gift card, and James would have no problem with that whatsoever because I have a restaurant preference, and that preference is based on my past experiences and my superior taste buds, and that's how I know Chick-fil-A is just the better option, so therefore, I'm going to pay a little more attention to that particular Individual. Now, again, I'm sorry if you have any stock in Panera, but come on. We're talking about Chick-fil-A here. Chick-fil-A, or as the French call it, la Chick-fil-A mignon. No one calls it that, but it doesn't change the fact. It's not even close. I have a restaurant preference. If, if Britney Spears and Chris Stapleton both came in my general direction offering to play me a little song. Naturally, I would look at Britney Spears and say, oops, don't do it again. And then I would look at Chris Stapleton and say, now play me a little ditty, sir. Now, James would have no problem with that. I don't know Chris, I don't know Britney, but I do know good music, right? So therefore, I have artistic and musical preferences based on my superior musical taste, if I might say myself. And James would have no problem with that. There is room for personal preferences born out of experiences. If two teenagers walked into my house, we're going to do this for a moment, so, so hang tight. If two teenagers walked into my house, one of them was your kid and one of them was my kid. No offense, I'm sure your kid is cool in her own right, but I would pay a little extra attention to my kid, not because of the way she looks, but because of our relationship. And James would have no problem with that because there is room for relational priority. Come on, husbands, don't you even dare say, uh, I know we're uh, on a date night, honey, to your wife. I know we're on a date night, but uh, I just didn't want to show special favor to you over our server here at the restaurant. You never do that. Because she might tell you like, Cool. No special favors then. Let's live like that. Right. If I've never journeyed with you in difficult and painful and hard places, 
don't be surprised if I maybe show a little special attention in regards to trust to the people who I've walked through painful seasons with. There is room for relational priority. Um, if I, come to your, if I come to your staff meeting at your workplace and I just start rifling through confidential information, security might escort me out and James would have no problem with that. They might treat me with a little less intention than they treat you. It's because I'm black. No, bro, it's because you don't work here. Therefore, there is actually role preference in certain contexts. If you came up to me and said, freeze, don't move, I might be like, whatever, and do a dance move. If Joel Poppenfuss or, 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 or another police officer told me the same thing, I would drop, I would freeze because of the role that they play. I feel like we are making our point and y'all get exactly what we're saying. My wife doesn't get to be upset. You paid more attention to him than you paid to me. Well, because he went to medical school and we're talking about my surgery. So yes, role preference. There is room for distinction in how I treat people based on their role, or based on their responsibility, based on our relationship, based on experience, or based on expertise. That's not what James is talking about. And you see what I'm saying? If we are intellectually lazy, all of a sudden we'll be like, I've got to treat everybody the same, your kid and my kid and, and your wife and my wife and, and the police officer and the civilian, and it's just going to be weird. That's not what James is saying. He's saying you must not treat someone with better attention or intention based on a superficial quality. All right, that still feels pretty tough to put into practice. Thankfully, James gives us a practical illustration. Look at verse two. He says, suppose uh, a man comes into your meeting, and he's talking about a church gathering, a church meeting. And this man is wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. Almost sounds like James is telling a joke. So two guys walk into a church service. Um, right? There is no existing role or relationship or responsibility or experience. All these two individuals have done is show up as themselves. One of them just happens to appear to be a little more wealthy than the other. This is favoritism. Verse three, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and you say, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Ooh, rich person, what an honor to have you in our congregation. Do you know what this dude could do for our budget? Roll out the red carpet, 
special treatment, priority seating. Now you, on the other hand, based on your janky outfit situation here, I'm going to go ahead and guess that mm, you might be asking us to help you with stuff before long. Uh, you might be one of those inconvenient type of church people. So uh, just find some place to sit, whatever. James would say, that's favoritism. The problem is not that you gave one person a nicer seat than you gave the other person. That's not the favoritism issue. The problem is why you gave them those different seats. Listen, I could tell somebody, hey, it's first come, first serve. It's why you treated them that way. Nothing they had done, but you treated one as more deserving of better attention and intention because of your perception of their worth to you based on a superficial Quality. Okay, let's take it out of the church. Um, because the church must leave the building if we've learned anything from COVID. And also because this concept travels. James would say, suppose you're in a class with two girls. All right, bro. One of them is a nine out of 10. The other one is a four out of 10 because you actually think it's okay to rate people based on their physical appearances. That in and of itself is an issue. But I digress for a moment. James would say, if you treat the one girl with more intention or attention than you treat the other one. You don't know either of them because of how they look. Favoritism. If you are friendlier to certain kids in the hallway than you are to other kids, but you know them the same, You've had similar experiences with both. James would say, favoritism at your school. And for the follower of Jesus, there is no room for kindness based on how someone looks. Wage a war against that in your heart. If you walk into the cafeteria on campus and there is a table of athletes over here and there is a table of mathletes, shall we say, over here and you decide jocks, I'm going to go ahead and sit next to the people I assume we're all going to be working for one day. Favoritism. It's favoritism, not because of where you chose to sit, but because of why you chose to sit there. 
because of some superficial quality. Well, because he holds a political office and she just cleans the offices. So excuse me if I show him a little extra attention, a little extra intention, shallow, also favoritism. And James would say there is no room for this in the church. If I decide I'm going to care more about your life because you have more TikTok followers, or because you're a CEO in an organization, I'm not even talking to the kid without Instagram. No social media cloud. I'm not even talking about this entry-level cubicle-dwelling human being right now because superficial quality. James would say that is favoritism. Favoritism. Come on. If you enforce your family rules with one kid more than you do another kid, well, this is our athletic one. We don't even know what that one's good at yet. James would say that is favoritism and there's no room for it in the church. There's no room for you to give certain grandkids a few more gifts because that's our grandson, you see. The heir of the family. James would say no. Favoritism. Maybe you've never thought about it, but it's a great question to ask. Do you treat certain people with a little more attention and intention based on external or superficial qualities? Which, by the way, makes you superficial. Not because they deserve it, but because you've decided based on the value you've assigned to that person by observation and by what you assume they might somehow improve your life. Is there any of that in your life? Hey, what's up? Hey, how are you? You get a little more because you're cute. You get a little less. Because you're not quite there. Oh, you seem like you have more connections just by, by looking at you. So, you know, hey, how, you know, what do you do? What are you up to? Shh, I'm not talking to you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really attention towards this person. James would say that's favoritism. There's no room for favoritism in the life of a Christ follower. And every encounter you have with people this week is going to be a test. Favoritism. And then James gives a few reasons why not. I don't know if you saw that first one in verse 4. He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Yikes. James doesn't say, listen, Christian, it's not nice when you show favoritism. He doesn't say it's not polite when you show favoritism. 
James doesn't say, it's a really bad habit that won't reflect well on your resume if you show favoritism. James says it is wrong. In fact, he says it is evil. Favoritism, church, is sinful. You become judges with sinful, evil thoughts. You go against the very nature of who God is when you show that kind of favoritism or you treat people that way. Wow. See, I've read this passage, and my temptation is to just kind of glance over it and move on to bigger ticket items in the book of James. And heaven is like, whoa, 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 hold up. This issue matters. Heaven doesn't consider it a poor practice. Heaven says it is evil when the church treats people this way. This is a big deal and a test of the authenticity of your faith claim. The way you give away your attention and intention reveals something about how authentic your faith is. If executives get more attention than the custodial crew, if the cute people get more intention than the people you evaluate as not so much. James says this reveals something about the authenticity of your faith and he calls it sinful, which means if I see that practice in my life, I cannot just ignore it and move on. It must be addressed and dealt with. James gives some other reasons why there is no room and should be no room for favoritism. Verse five, he says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Verse six, but you have dishonored the poor. You have mistreated, you have dissed, you have downplayed the poor. Is it not the rich, the popular, the powerful who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? James is saying not only is favoritism sinful, but favoritism is senseless. It makes no sense. This is powerful, by the way. James is like, have you paid no attention to those old Sunday school stories from the scriptures? What kinds of people did God typically choose? And what kinds of people did God typically choose to use? You got it. He typically chose the outwardly unimpressive people. 
He turned the world upside down with people that the culture just didn't think much of. Have you forgotten that God does not value external stuff? Read the stories again. Why would you then do what God doesn't? That makes no sense. It's senseless. It's crazy. And come on, can we talk about this for a second? Isn't it a trip that most of us in the church would not have preferred to be friends with King David in high school? Come on, somebody. Because he was the, 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 the nerdy homeschool farm kid who spent most of his time with sheep. That's not who you would have wanted to be telling your friends, guess who I hang out with? I hang out with the cool people. We would have opted for King Saul. Studly, D1 quarterback, specimen of a guy. He's the guy we would have chosen and we would have all lost out on a cabinet seat in the kingdom of Israel. We would have been wrong about what God was saying about those people based on our superficial evaluations of folks. If you know the Bible, treating people special because of how they look to you makes no sense. Come on, you don't even know who this person might be in the economy and agenda of God. Watch yourself. Have you not read the stories? She's just the cafeteria lady. Oh, really? Have you not read the stories? You don't even know what that dude we all overlook might do for history. You don't even know what she might do to save the lives of your children 10 years from now. You don't know where they land in the economy and the story of God, but if history is any indication, then God does not choose and choose to use people based on the superficial qualities we tend to value. So for you to do that to people makes no sense. You have no clue and your ridiculous standards will often miss what God sees and what God says if you bring the natural, sinful, broken lens to the way you interact with people. God doesn't look at the externals. He looks at the person. But we insist, no, we have a better system, God, than yours. And James says, that doesn't make any sense. Who did God choose to use? Who did God choose to save? Um, apart from God's MO, though, um, can we just talk for a second about these people that we tend to give <laughs> our special attention to? James is on a roll here, by the way. It's like this doesn't make any 
sense. Because no matter how many times you stalk and like that celebrity's post on social media, have you noticed they've never liked one of yours? Weird. James is like, that's weird, man. All of the attention and intention you give them, and they don't even know you exist. James is like, that's weird. That's strange. You see the celebrity at the mall, and you're like, oh my God. And then you start to run in their direction. And what do they do? James asks. They're like, ah, oh, fans, and they run away from you. And you get home, and the story you tell is, guess who we saw at the mall? Oh, my word. Did you meet them? No, they freaked out and ran from us. But guess who we saw? I'm going to like their post and buy their music. And James is like, that's weird. That's who you're giving your attention to. That's a little strange. Yet you continue to suck up to people who don't even care about you. Because they're celebrities, because they're the populars, because we evaluate them as nines out of tens. James's point is so striking. They benefit and get rich from all of your attention and from all of your affection and all of your intention. They benefit from your favoritism. They're getting rich because of it. So they use you for your follows. They use you for your likes, but it's never been reciprocated. And yet you ignore the cafeteria lady who feeds you every day. Doesn't make any sense. You've lost your minds. Senseless. Not to mention their music, their movies many times degrade the very character and the name and the honor of your God and you don't even care. Because they're famous. So that kid at school who you give the most attention to or the exec who you continue to, 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 to suck up to, what do they say about the great name of your God? I don't know that they care about it, but I don't care that they don't care about it because, and James is saying this makes no sense. And when you're struggling with loneliness, the cute boy at school calls you at home and is like, hey, just wanted to check in on how you're doing, said no one ever. Nope, but that's the guy you get dressed for in the morning. That's the guy you flick your hair to get a little extra attention in their direction. And yet the friends who are near you, the friends who walk with you, eh. James says it doesn't make any sense. And you know the politician who's watched your kids. No, they've never met my kids. Okay. But the school bus driver who brings them home every day and keeps them safe. No, 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 I mean, no extra attention for them. They're just a bus driver. Do you see? James is like, I don't. It makes no sense. It's not only sinful. It's. Senseless. 
The custodian at your workplace actually does more to benefit your life than oftentimes the exec. If you really thought about it, favoritism is usually senseless. I I wonder if you even take a second to ROI, return on investment with your favoritism. Just for, just for a second, but we don't, which is James's point. Then James says, here's how the follower of Jesus Christ should live. Verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Now you're doing right. Now you are showing your faith to be authentic. But if you show favoritism, you sin. In case anyone wondered if favoritism is a sin. You sin and you are convicted by the law as law breakers. James is saying, here's the best way to live. Treat everybody like you would want them to treat you. You don't even have to try and guess. I wonder if God will use this person. I wonder if God will use that person. I wonder who God is going to use. Forget that. Just treat everybody the way you would want them to treat you. Forget who might benefit your career or your social media clout. Treat everybody the way you would want them to treat you. Forget how insignificant our culture might consider them. Forget what numbers messed up people may put on their rating. Treat everybody the way you would want them to treat you. Forget how much culture might idolize them. We need a movement in the church that treats custodians and politicians with the same dignity, with the same honor, with the same attention, with the same intention. Because that's how I would want you to treat me. Whether I was an exec or I lost my job. And I was doing something I never would have imagined I would do. My dignity hasn't changed. My value hasn't changed. My worth hasn't changed. Treat everybody like you would want them to treat you. If you want people to notice and engage you like you matter, treat people that way. Even when you're in a rush, even when you're just picking up your coffee real quick, treat people the way you would want them to treat you if you were a barista during a really busy moment in the day. You still would not want to feel insignificant. Treat people the way you'd want them to treat you. If you don't want people to draw false conclusions about you based on some superficial quality, then treat everyone that way. If you don't think someone should view you as more valuable because of the kinds of shoes you wear, then treat people that way. If you don't want people rating you physically and then treating you accordingly, 
And some of us are like, I don't mind because I look good right now. <laughs> uh, not for everybody and not forever. Just say, but keep working out. Treat people the way you would want them to treat you. By the way, now it makes sense. Because I mean, I, I start, you start chapter two of James and you're like, he's coming out of the gates pleading with a sense of urgency, no favoritism. I'm begging you as somebody who loves you as brothers and sisters in Jesus, do not show favoritism. I'm like, favoritism? Why are you making such a big deal of it? Because James understands that favoritism is the opposite or the antithesis to the second greatest commandment to love people as yourself. This is a big deal. I thought it's just favoritism. It's like, no, it is the second greatest commandment. We can walk around and say we should love people as ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. And James says, yeah, that's great. Let me give you a really practical way in which that shows up in your life. Do not show favoritism. That is going to be a measure of how well you are living the second greatest commandment in all of Scripture. Every encounter you have with people this week is going to be a test of your obedience to the second greatest commandment. It's a big deal. It really matters. And I'm like, that's why James is so passionate in his calling in this regard. It will measure the sincerity of your faith in Jesus how you treat the lunch lady, whether you treat her like she matters or whether you treat her like she doesn't, whether you treat the athletic kids a little bit more attention than you treat those you view, whatever your system of valuing is, whether you treat the 4-H kids with a little more dignity and honor than you treat the theater kids. It matters. Verse 12, James then says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. This gets intense. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It matters. This favoritism thing matters. Not just because it's the second greatest command, but because the consequences are incredibly significant. If you continue to, 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 to treat people better than other people based on superficial things, you are going to invite the judgment of God. And that makes sense. If favoritism is a sin, and we just persist in doing it, it makes sense where James goes with this. That we're gonna invite the judgment of God. And yet I love what he says. But if you show kindness and sincerity to everyone, regardless of status, 
you never have to worry about the judgment of God. Your merciful treatment of people will override judgment. And I'm not going to have to worry about judgment because there is an evidence that mercy has done its work in me and mercy is now outflowing in the way that I treat people, which is an evidence that judgment has been overcome in my life. How we treat people matters immensely. And I'm telling you, church, we are living in a season in which the world needs the church to fight favoritism and treat people with dignity. To treat people with the dignity with which we would want to be treated. There is a famine of this in our world. And James would plead with us. Be a reflection of the mercy. Be a reflection of the Savior that you believe. And can you imagine what your school might look like? Can you imagine what your workplace might look like? If the followers of Jesus treated everybody, I'm telling you, and I realize this is a heavy thing to say as we wrap up. Can you imagine what might happen to the suicide statistics? If the church showed up and reminded people, you matter and you matter and you matter. I don't turn my back to you because they seem like they have more clout. You matter and you bear the marks of the living God. And I'm going to treat you both as such. I think our world and our communities would look entirely different. And if nothing else, as I reprocess this, it struck me the reminder again and again that the grace that saved us was hidden in insignificance. It struck me all over again. Isaiah chapter 53, this is powerful. Verse two, he, who he, Jesus, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He, he, who, Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. We would have rated him a three, maybe. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, disregarded, rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people turn their backs, hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he's the one who took up our pain. He's the one who bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, irrelevant, stricken by him and afflicted. But he, who, he, Jesus, the insignificant one. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Mercy. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. 
And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Isn't it a trip, by the way, that we would have overlooked our salvation based on the ways we tend to treat people? We would not have been friends with Jesus before he turned 30 and started doing miracles. You know, the carpenter kid who reads all the time. Bible, I believe. This was such a striking reminder. This goes against the very nature of our salvation and our savior. When we start to look at external things, we side with a broken culture and we miss the very heart of the gospel, the very heart of our God. And you know what excites me, by the way? As some of you start to take steps in repenting from your own favoritism, as some of you start to take steps in, in, in showing equal attention and intention to, to everybody in your world, as you start to return dignity to the folks in your world, completely apart from what they may look like or how you may read their benefit to you, you know what's a trip to me? The Bible says, and this is just, this is just true, Bible. Some of you, are going to encounter angels and not even know it. That's what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. Like some of you, by being kind to people who no one else thinks much about, you've ended up entertaining and sitting next to and hanging out with angels and you didn't even know it. I'm just telling you, if sinfulness is not enough for you, if senselessness is not enough for you, come on somebody, don't you want at least put yourself in the running for an encounter with an angel? I do. I don't know, but that's it. I'm done. I'm going to pray. Father, I beg you to stir us, bring us back to the heart of the gospel, to who Jesus is. And even though we were sinners, he came for us still. Even though we rejected him, he came for us still. Even though there was nothing superficial to draw us to him, he came after us still. And we pray, Lord, that we would be a reflection of that. That, that we would love people as you've loved us. And we would love people as we would want people to love us. So I pray, Lord, for any of us who need to repent of the sin of favoritism, that we will be humble enough to do it. But I pray, Lord, that as your church is unleashed back into the community, back into our worlds, back into our workplaces, that your spirit would go before us and just give us a fresh perspective to look at people with dignity, regardless of superficial and external things. And may we love well, and may the world know that you've sent us because of the way we love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.